Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. This Australian Investors Podcast episode is brought to you by The Intelligent Investor, Australia's premier investment research membership service. You can get a free trial for 15 days, no credit card details required. To access the insights of some of Australia's best analysts, use the coupon code RASK and secure your Intelligent Investor membership today. We're proud to have The Intelligent Investor as an ongoing supporter of the Australian Investors Podcast. As a result, RASK does not earn a volume-based fee. Simply head to intelligentinvestor.com.au or use the link in your podcast player to access your free trial. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast is also proudly supported by SelfWealth, Australia's leading independent broker. Over 120,000 investors trust SelfWealth with over $9 billion in equities. With SelfWealth, you can trade ASX, US and Hong Kong listed shares for a flat fee. On a $10,000 investment with Comsec, you'd pay $29.95 in fees. Yet with SelfWealth, it's just $9.50. The thing I like about SelfWealth is the full access to fundamental company data and how easy it is to trade US, Hong Kong, and Aussie shares in one place. You can see your Apple shares and ACDC ETF right beside each other. To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Luke Winchester, thanks for taking the time out to join me on the podcast, mate. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, cheers, mate. A lot of people know you um, on Twitter. People follow you on Strawman. Um, and people now are getting to know you and or, or already do know you from Oracle Investment Management, where you're the portfolio manager of the merge, merging company strategy mm-hmm. and fund. Um so there's, there's people out there and people listening to this that have experience with you and some of your work, and I'd encourage them to go check it, check you out, whether that be at Oracle or even on Strawman. I'll provide both links in the show notes. But we're going to talk about small caps. We're going to talk about a bit about you. We're going to talk about how you get an edge in small cap investing, why you like it, 
the difference between managing money personally and professionally. And then we're just going to settle up, settle in with some, um, I guess, some sage advice on the end. But why don't we just kick things off? As you know, mate, one of the things I like to do is just like to find out about how you got started in investing, kind of where that journey began. Yeah, sure. So um, my start to to the industry is probably a little bit different to, to most who come on the podcast. I've got I've got no formal background uh, in, in finance or commerce. Um, no no family history of investing. I'm, as far as I know, I'm the first person in the family to own shares outside of super. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, originally I, I studied uh, business at, at university um, and found my way into industrial relations actually at the time um traveled around a bit to 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 port macquarie and melbourne for for work in that space um and then my journey into shares actually started in a a, a way i guess a a lot of listeners may relate to and that was uh, i watched my friends make money um (laughs) back in the day uh you know around 2011 2012 in the mining boom um and a few of my mates were you know, making money and, and, and paying for holidays on the back of um, gold stocks and, and, and who knows what else. So, you know, it was that, that classic um, greed and envy that, that sort of got me started into shares. I, I didn't realise that, you know, that sort of money could be made and, and, and seeing mates pay for holidays and, and, and who knows what else on, on the back of um, tips off hot copper and things like that. So, that was my introduction to shares. Um, and, and, and so, you know, the first shares I ever bought, um, I, I do know the names of them. It was um, Axiom Mining. Um, the ticket mm-hmm. was AVQ for that. I went back and had a look. It's been suspended for many years now. <laughs> um, and the other one was Avanco Resources, which in the end got bought out by Oz Minerals, but, but it, was a, um, it, was a, it was a wild journey on that ride and I was, I was exited well before that. But um, yes, Axiom Minerals was a was a was a tip from a mate. Um, I'm pretty sure Avanco was the the most commented stock on Hot Copper at the time, which is how, <laughs> how I got involved in that. Um, and so that was my that was my introduction to, to stocks. It was it was you know very similar to what you see today with with Reddit and Wall Street bets. It was just obviously the it was the mining boom at the time. So it was you know social media. It was mining stocks. It was it was pumps and dumps, and, and I was in the thick of it. Now, you know, I look back at that time, and 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 I can only consider myself lucky that. You know, I, I started back then with a thousand dollars in a Comsec account, and, and you know the minimum five hundred dollar parcel in those two stocks. Um, so I learned my lesson very quickly, um, very early on. Like, uh, you know, they, they I very quickly lost money in, in both of those stocks. Um, but I, you know, even through that experience of losing the money, I quickly found that I enjoyed the the idea of owning shares. Um, I, I think even back then I understood intuitively, you know, you were owning shares of a business. Um, I was just too naive and, 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 and green, I guess, to, to realise what sort of businesses I should be owning. Um, but I stuck to it. And, and so, um, you know, like I said, no, no formal education or training. I was, I was, I was so new to it all. Um, and I found myself on hot copper, um, and I and I found myself, you know, searching around, and I found a handful of users who I, I would follow their posts and follow the stocks they were following, um, and they were doing well. They were making money, and and so I I 
you know, tried to, to jump onto the back of that and, and more than just follow their stocks, you know, understand what they were seeing, read their posts. Um, and one of those posters went by the nickname of Steve, um, who I now know Steve um, quite well personally, um, and, and he was um, influential in starting a Facebook group. Um, so I found my way to this Facebook group. And, and I think that's where I suddenly, it opened up a new world of, hold on, there's a lot more to shares than just specky mining companies. There's a, there's a lot of good businesses, a lot of good small caps. Um, and some of the people, you, you know, putting research on that Facebook page back then, um, you know, these were still some of the smartest investors I've ever come across. They were just private investors, um, but they they were unbelievable. And so, um, you know, I, I threw myself into that and it was it was reading these posts, reaching out to these people, you know, um, becoming friends with them on Facebook, talking to them and starting to build up this network of people. Um, and at the time, I probably didn't realise the importance of that. But but sitting back now, um, playing in the in in the small cap space on the ASX, it's so important to have that network of people um, because you don't have broker research, you don't have industry coverage. Um, you know, it's sometimes very difficult to to get in touch with these management teams the same way that you would with larger management teams who are hosting you know, um, webinars and things like that after all their reports. Um, and so it's important to build out that network around you and always be talking to people and and, and finding new ideas, bouncing ideas off people. Um, so I found myself doing that almost by accident. Um, and after a while, I thought, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting confident here. Um, I'll I'll try posting one myself. And so I actually remember the first post I ever did to this Facebook page. It was for a company called Senatas Corporation. They're still listed. Mm. S-E-N is the ticker. Um, and, you know, I remember e- even back then without knowing as much as I know now about research and, 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 and the stocks, I, I sort of saw the opportunity even, even back then. Um, I, I tried to find the post. I, I actually couldn't find it, unfortunately. I would have loved to go back and read it again. Um, but it was, you know, a few hundred words and it was what the business did, why I liked it. It was just that classic that classic thesis. It's, it's you know, essentially the same thing I'm sort of doing on Straw Man today, which you, you touched on earlier. Um, but from that, a few people reached out to me and sort of said, look, I own Cenotas, I like it too. Um, and then... You know, a few weeks or months later, I think they reported quite well and the, and the stock shot up and um, I, I started to see the value in, okay, well, if I'm putting things out there and, and having it critiqued and, and engaging in these conversations, um, you know, I, I'm seeing the benefits of, of being able to filter down to better businesses, invest in those better businesses and, and, and hopefully make money. So it was good, you know, the same way I had the negative feedback from that start originally in, in, in the specy mining companies, it was good to get the positive feedback of, okay, well, when I put in the work and, and, I, and I do the proper research and, and have conviction in myself, it was good to see that play out on the positive side. Um, and yeah, from there, like I said, I just, I slowly built out the network. Um, 
one of the, I then started to try and post research sort of wherever I could. So so I was on I was on hot copper for a while. Um, I've actually been banned, banned on hot copper, so I haven't been there for, for <laughs> a few years now. Um, that's no great no great loss to me. Um, but I remember I was posting on a website called called Share Idea, which it only ran for a, a couple of years. It was run by mm. a bloke called Alex. Um, I can't remember his last name, sorry. Um, Alex Hughes? Alex Hughes, that's right, Alex Hughes. So Alex, Alex started that website and ran it for a few years. Um, and I posted a, a, um, an idea on there for, for Rectifier Technologies, RFT, mm-hmm. and very similar, like, you, you know, through, through good fortune, good luck or, or, or good work, I'm not sure, the, you know, how, how you would weight those three things. Um, it did well. And so, again, it sort of, you know, was a uh, sort of, again, just getting my, my name out there and, um you know, having people sort of recognise not just me, but the work I was I was doing and, and putting it out there, um, and yeah, so that just snowballed into a few other things, and it's probably culminated now with with I, I find myself mostly on on Twitter and Strawman, but it's that same it's that same idea. The concept hasn't changed. It's it's you know I, I do my work and 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 I don't put it out in in the public domain for. You know, I'm not. I'm not trying to pump and dump my stocks. Um, I put it out in the public domain to be critiqued. Um, you know, I still, I, I still talk to people, um, and if if I find out, you know, they've spoken to a management team of a business I own or they've looked at it, I want their honest opinion. You know, what did you think? What do you think I've missed? What did you like about it? What didn't you like? Um, because you know, no matter how much work you put in, someone can always bring a, a new perspective or maybe they've just asked the, 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 a question in a different way to management to get a, um, a new answer or, or something like that. So it's always just about, um, you know, really trying to get as much information as I can about the businesses I own or I want to own. Um, and that's positive or negative. So yeah, that that's where the, the path has sort of led me to now um, on the, on the, personal side of things um but yeah i was then able to sort of um move that into into a professional career as well Hmm. so did that come about as a result of you know people seeing you post online or how did that come to be or did you just apply like a standard you know application no it was just it was just a standard application i actually missed it i was um i was i was working in industrial relations um Hmm. but by then i'd been personally investing for uh, probably three or four years um, and do and, and doing quite well um, and one of my mates just sent me a CCAD on, on a Friday afternoon and he said oh look it's actually closed I actually missed the the cutoff date <laughs> um, he said did you see this I, I said no and it was a um, you know entry-level position here at here at Oracle uh, at the time we were named Farnham we, we had a name change but um mm. Uh, yeah, it was an entry level position, and I thought, well, you know, at that time I was in industrial relations, and, and I enjoyed the work. I really did. It was, um, you know, it was it was um, very interesting and, and, and varied stuff. Um, but you know, even then, I could tell that I wanted to to move into into shares, and and not so much from the professional view of, of you know trying to make money out of it but it would just open up more opportunities for me in the sense of um you know access to people access to resources um access Mm. to i guess i was i was still very green i I didn't really know how 
institutionals approached shares from the sense of modelling shares, reports, committees, things like that. Um, so I was, I was also interested in that side of things. Um, anyway, so I just applied for the job and, and, and yeah, I submitted, I think I submitted my, um, the share ID article I wrote on, on Rectify Technologies um, and, and I, may have, I may have submitted another one. I think I did two. It escapes me what other stock I may have submitted, but it was just my, you know, a few hundred word write-ups. And yeah, I was lucky enough to, to get invited in for, you know, a bit more of a chat um, about what I was doing. And, you know, part of that chat was, look, this is entry level. You know, I'd, I'd sort of worked my way up in, in the industrial relations space. Um, and it was sort of, you know, do you understand that you're taking a real backseat? And, and I did. And so, jumped at the opportunity and, and and yeah look those first couple of years it was it was it was actually quite good for me because I was I was you know despite being older I was 28 29 at the time um you know just you know not not a graduate fresh out of uni um I didn't have any of that background like I, I said to you earlier I didn't have a commerce or finance background mm. it was also new and so having that entry level start it, it sounds basic but I was learning about you know, literally um, how to place trades, um, settlements, you know, some back office stuff, um, building really simple models, um, you know, sitting on committees and, and just I was I was the person that took the minutes. But, but um, you know, just getting exposure to that institutional way of thinking, um, it, was, it was really valuable at the time. Um, and I just slowly over time, this was always the plan for the role was to slowly just, you know, ease into the analytical side of things. Um, and so I, I did that as well. And um, I, I actually remember my my start here at Oracle, unfortunately, wasn't as successful as my, um, you know, starts with Senatas and, and Rectify Technologies because I think the first stock I pitched was, Bellamy's um and 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 this wasn't Bellamy's when Bellamy's was a dollar this was Bellamy's I I think it was about 13 14 dollars um and then they you know a few months later had had some issues around their inventory stock and things like that and um very nearly went under I think uh sort Mm. of gets lost now um that they managed to get out of it but um I think they were a lot closer to to bankruptcy to to what the market or what people probably um realize but that was also a lesson in itself. I mean, you know, the same way I lost money on those mining stocks early in the day. It was a it was a good lesson in uh, for me at the time. You know, I probably got a little bit lost in trying to stick to a, a an investment philosophy that I was new to. So um, at Oracle, like at most places, you know, we have our checklist of what we look for for stocks. And so I was trying to, to to put the the you know round peg in the square hole of I was only looking for businesses that ticked every box on that list because I I didn't want to come to the committee with you know well you know it doesn't meet our debt filters or it doesn't meet our return on equity or our growth filters or, or whatever it may be you know I wanted that investment that ticked every box and and did all that and so on its face value Bellamy's did that. Um, but I think what I what I sort of missed was that that next level next level of analysis on the um, on the qualitative side rather than just the numbers about 
you know, what were those forces impacting on the business, um, you know, and, and, and it was there if you wanted to do the work and, 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 and that was the, the real thing I, I took out of that. But, um, yeah, look, I, 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 you know, obviously stuck with it. Um, and I was uh, an analyst for a while, just floating across. We run a few different portfolios. I was just floating analyst across a, a few different things. Um, but about a year ago, um, yeah, as you sort of introduced me at the start, I was appointed to, to portfolio manager of our emerging companies, which is our small mid-cap portfolio. Um, and I've been running that um, for just under a year, I think it was. It was pretty much COVID was my, uh, you know, um, feet to the fire when I when I first took over. I was very familiar with the portfolio, but um, officially taking over was was in that peak of COVID. Mm. It's a fascinating story. I'm, I'm reminded of something um, just from your your learnings uh, through social media and the like. Uh, one of our analysts said to me recently that he learnt more following people on Twitter than he did in his master's degree. Uh, it seems to be um, a recurring theme. If you find good people to follow, you can kind of just soak up uh, the wisdom from them. So one of the one of the things that uh, we talked about just off air briefly before we hit record was this difference between um, the Luke, the private investor, and Luke as a professional investor. This is something we don't often talk about too much on the show. I you said, you know, nine to five is Oracle and then you do a little bit, you know, when you can for your own stuff online. Do you, what's, what's a typical day look like for you now? And I guess what's the contrast between like the way you invest personally and professionally? Yeah. Um, there's, there's not too much of a contrast in, in what we're looking for. I mean, um, you know, from an, from a philosophy point of view, you know, uh, my, my, personal philosophies align 100% with Oracle. It, it's just the space, you know, um, that, that mm. we tend to play in. But you know, to, to sort of rewind and, and, and answer your question, um, I, I've got a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old, so my, my day typically typically starts whenever <laughs> they want it to start. Um, and, and so, you know, in between making breakfasts and getting everyone sorted, I'm, I'm trying to sort of just check my phone and, you know, get a feel for how the US markets were last night. Nothing too specific, just, you know, um, any any major news um, because, it, you know, it's, it's going to impact me in some way um, mm. how the US performed. Um, but, yeah, look, once I'm at work, um, I, I am on Twitter. And, and, and to go back to that point you made, I mean, if, if there's someone out there who doesn't have a well-curated Twitter timeline, you are, you know, you're, you're behind the eight ball. It's, to me, it, it's turned into my most important source of maybe not financial information, but certainly financial analysis. Um, and mm. you, you have to curate it yourself. You have to find the people. Um, I, I think I've got about 180 people that I follow, which I, I find is a good number to sort of keep up with. Um, but the people you can find, and, and sometimes they're professionals, they're fund managers, other times they're just private investors. But as I alluded to before, there's, there's private investors out there who I would put them up there with any of the fund managers I've come across. They, they are geniuses. Um, they just don't want to manage public money because Mm. One, they don't have to, and 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 two, they don't want to. <laughs> um, yep. But but they are they are geniuses, and and you know they often just put their thoughts out there to the public. Um, but more than that, 
you know, reach out to people. Uh, I know for me personally, um, if somebody sends me a, a Twitter message or, or a DM, I, I reply. Like, you know, I, I want to engage with people because, uh, particularly in the investment space, in the small caps, you need to. You, you need to engage with people because it's your best resource. Um, you can't, mm. you know, if your universe is, is two or 300 stocks, you can't be across them all at one time, but you can develop a network of people who you trust. Um, and, and not to say you blindly follow these people into investments, but, um, you know, if they have a good idea, you, you're having a look at it. If they, if they bring up a red flag for something you own, you're, you're digging into it. So, um, Twitter is, is, is big for me. I, I, I almost have the, I have it up in my Chrome browser, I think all day at work, you know, it, it might close sometimes, but, but essentially it's always open because, um, when, when e- either it's breaking news or just, or just keeping a track of that analysis, um, it's always there first. Um, so, so Twitter is big. Um, and then the other thing I do is, is um, I, I literally read most announcements that get released on the ASX um, outside of reporting season. That's not too difficult to do. There might be, you know, 50 or so um, a day. Um, I, I, I don't really um, dip into mining stocks or biotechs and, and, and neither does Oracle. So, um, you know, putting them to the side, it, it really reduces that universe as well. Um, but even during reporting season, um, look, you've just got to do the work. Um, I say that I say that to people. Um, um, so as an example, quarterly reporting season, I open up every 4C of a, of a business that's not a, a, a mining business or, or biotech and you quickly learn which tickers are which, um, you know, over time. Um, do you, Luke, do you, how do you keep track of things? So, you know, once you read them, do you have, you know, a database or some type of, um, note-taking system where you kind of collect your thoughts. Yeah, yep, yep. So I keep a I, I keep a, a watch list in. Um, we use Iris here at Oracle, so I've got my Iris um, watch list set up, but I've got a spreadsheet as well with um, you know little notes that I keep. Um, so the watch list has oh, I haven't probably counted for a while, maybe ninety to hundred stocks on it. Um, right, and that's just things that and, and literally. So so you know that process will be um, like I said. I'll I'll, I'll open up. Literally every single quarterly report that's that's not a mining or, or biotech, um, and you know I'll just have some some key things I look for. So um, cash flow positive is, is a big one. Uh, if not close to it, um, growing receipts. Um, that's probably the start there. And if I like what I see there, I might move to some commentary. If I like what I see there, I might go back and look at some older reports, some investor presentations, um, and annual reports. And, you know, again, if, if it continues to look really interesting, I'll, I'll throw it on my watch list. Um, mm. And then at some point I'll try and delve a bit deeper into it when I find time or, or, or just, you know, as um, maybe as, as, as new announcements come out or the, or the next round of reporting season is now on my radar. But, but yeah, no, I, I think it's important to build up your knowledge of, of the universe you want to play in. Um, and look, just because I don't invest in mining stocks, I, I'm not saying you can't make money there. I, I know a lot of people that do. Um, you just got to know your, your, your circle of competence. You know, that's the, the classic, you know, the classic mm. sort of um, um, saying. Um, but once you do, you know, um, you can, you can filter down the universe that you want to play in. Um, and so, and so I do that. Um, and, and like I said, uh, I, I've been doing this now for, seven seven eight years 
over time, like you, you very quickly learn the tickers and the names of all the stocks that sort of you have an interest in. And it doesn't take long. I mean, it sounds like a long task, but, you know, um, it's it's you can sort of keep up with the day um, each day as they report during quarterly reporting season or half half year reporting season, full year reporting season. Um and yeah, look, I, I think it's a, a very important thing to do to build out that that watch list and that knowledge. And it and it comes over time. It, it, it probably is a bit daunting if you're if you're starting fresh, um, but it does. It certainly does build over time. And, and I think people would be surprised at how quickly that knowledge builds, particularly if you're supplementing it with other people, whether that be Twitter, straw man, or, or something like that. Um, mm. Yeah, but but look, I, I mean, f- from there. Um, you know the process is um, very typical of, of, I guess, any any other guests you've probably had on here. Um, you know, you're going back, reading reports, getting a, a handle around the business. Um, I, I do like to speak to management. Um, you know, some people don't avoid that, but it's not a, a necessary thing for them. I, I do try to speak to management. Um, the one thing I'll always do is. I will do the work before I speak to management. I found that um, one of the major pitfalls people can fall into is if you haven't done the work into a stock before you speak to the management team, um, you're very susceptible to the narrative that they want to spin about their business. Mm. Um, and, and I don't want that to come off in a negative connotation, Although there are some managers who, who probably should that you know that should apply to them, um, but 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 keep in mind you know these management teams even if there's nothing untoward, it's it's their businesses, it's their livelihoods. They want to be positive about the business and its outlook. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever spoken to a manager who said to me, "Yeah, you know, this is an average business that's going nowhere." I, if it was, they wouldn't work there. So inherently, they're, they're going to be positive. They're going to be. Um, you know, they're going to tell you all the great things about their business. And if you haven't done the work into that stock to be able to drill down to the potential negatives or to keep your feet grounded from being, you know, lifted up from from the positive spin that they want to put on it, um, you're going to find yourself caught caught up in that. Um, and it's 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 crazy because I've I've had it done myself. Uh, I know from experience. Um, the, 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 the big one that got me, you know, I'll, I'll give you the example. The, the, the big one that got me personally years ago was um, a stock called um, MSL Solutions. Uh, the ticker was, was MPW. Um, and that was one I, I just, you know, hands up, I just didn't put enough work into it. I, um, you know, I listened to manage, management present. I, I read the investor presentations. Um, and, and to be honest, I was, I was very lucky that, that one of my colleagues here at Oracle was was almost the rational voice that I needed to hear. Um, who who kept pointing out to me every quarterly report, you, you know, mate, the cash isn't coming in. <laughs> you know, yeah. the 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 you know the ARR is being touted and and the, and the revenue and the customers. You know, it all it all sounds good. But he said, "There's no cash," and it, it took a while for it to click with me um, because I was blinded by by you know the story that was spun, and I was I was calling management and and you know being told, "Oh, this." You know, yep, all this looks good, and and we're about to win this and do that and and whatnot. But um, yeah, I was I was quite lucky to get out of that before suffering anything too material. And uh, I've sort of kept half an eye on the stock. I think the management team from back then's actually actually departed, and there's a new management team in there. But it's it's a very important um, a very important thing that I, I don't think 
gets discussed a lot. I, I think when people talk about talking to management teams, um, I, I don't really hear that sort of point really being discussed. And I think I think it is really important um, mm. because you can you can you can really get that bias without even realizing it. And I think that's what's dangerous is, is you don't realize the bias that's been put, you know, into the back of your subconscious. Um, and the only way I think you can really manage that is to is to go into those meetings with a, you know, maybe not an in-depth, you know, super in-depth knowledge of the business, but at least, you know, um, at least a, a, a knowledge of the potential negatives or, or, or some or some questions that can sort of get direct management into that when you speak to them. I've, I've found there are kind of two types of people that interview management and one would be the more abrasive type that asks really hard questions and wants to kind of grill them on points. And then there's the one that um, is a bit more flexible and kind of chummy with them, but in their own mind makes make, makes up their own mind if in their own time, if you like. And I, I'm definitely not one to be too abrasive with management and not to really grill them on things, but I just try and lure them into, <laughs> sounds quite bad now that I say it on a podcast, but I kind of lure them into to saying things which they think I want to, I want to hear. Um, and that kind of reveals who they are. And I think we've had Matt Joss on the program before and he said something similar. Is there anything that you ask management in particular or can you bring up, can you think of any examples where you've had to use your own kind of persuasive um, interviewing skills to, to get to the truth? Um, there's probably not, you know, one or, or two specific questions that I, I ask to, to each management team. It is, it is very much depends on the business and, and the management team themselves. Um, you know, I think it's, it's a very good point. I, I actually agree with you that, that you generally fall into one of those two camps of you're the, uh, you know, I'm going to stand away from you. I've got my list of questions. You have to answer them. And then there's the people who are much more, you know, let's have this conversation and build up a relationship and um, it can often depend on the manager as to which is the best mm. approach to sort of get the information you want. I mean, look, one of, well, sorry, there is one question I, I do tend to ask um, in in every conversation I have and, and that's something along the lines of uh, from my point of view as the investor outside looking in, um, what's what's something I can do to track the business or track your performance? Like what's, um, you know, what's a benchmark that you're measuring yourself to? And, and sometimes mm-hmm. that's as simple as, you know, we're chasing revenue growth. Like that's the phase of the business that we're in. Um, so, you know, we, we're, we're measuring ourselves by our revenue growth. Um, but the best answers are the ones where it's often something more strategic. Um, you know, it may be a smaller segment of the business that's growing and they're saying, look, you know, um, we've got our core business doing well, but, but this is, you know, if this um, side business or, or new venture that we're getting into, um, we're really excited about this and, and, and this is what we want to see grow over the next few years, then that's something that you can look at when the reports come out. Um, you know, while, while other people may be focused on the, the numbers being driven by a core business, um, you know, you may have an insight, well, actually management's really excited about this new venture and it sounds like it's doing really well. Um, and mm. so, you know, I, I know for me, um, you know, specific examples, I, I guess one that maybe comes to mind there is, is a business I've held for a long time is, is, is a small business called Laserbond. Um, mm. And I remember the first time I ever spoke to, to them. So those guys... Um, their, their core business, in going back to to, to, the, to that example I was just talking about, 
Um, their core business is is um, surface coating for heavy machinery. So they apply a, a um, microscopic coating to the surface of heavy heavy machinery, which um, extends the wear life. Um, so their core business was a mining contractor will send them a you know a, a large drill to their factory in in Western Sydney. They coat the drill, send it back, um, and it's a it's a very good business. It earns you know decent returns on capital and all that, but. I remember when I spoke to management at the time, um, they were really starting to ramp up what they call the product side of their business, and it's the same. It's the same. Um, it's the same like idea. They're surface coating products, but rather than doing it for people sending it to them, they're doing it for the OEMs. So um, you know, you have these original manufacturers um, surface coating these products before they go to the end customer. Um, and it's, it's, it's higher margin. It was the potential for higher growth. And so chatting to the management team, you, you quickly understood that this was their big focus. Um, you know, the services business, it, it, it was established. They've got a good brand name. It's going to tick along and, and do well. But, but this was, you know, the product segment, as they, as they termed it, was going to be that next leg up. Um, and so... I think it was their FY18 annual report, and it was almost that exact situation I just just described. It was a average report, um, but within that, the products business accelerated massively, and I think was doing something like 35% um, EBITDA margin. Uh, maybe that's mm. top of my head, um, but it was you know I think services does 2025. And so it was that it was that sign. Well, you know, the market's looking at this average result, which was it was sort of dragged down by the, a week half in the services division, without noticing that this smaller segment it was really accelerating. And and, and this was the segment that management was most excited by. Um, so I remember originally buying shares around that sort of situation. Um, and then, interestingly enough, I mean, this probably feeds into another thing. Um, you know, we were discussing off air before about one of the things I always like to do is try and find um, a metric or something that I can track outside of reports and, and, and you know, presentations and things like that mm-hmm. to try and get a feel for how the business is performing. And, and, and with LaserBond, one of the things you could track was they were exporting a lot of these products to the US because one of the products was a... Um, it was a, a roller for, for steel mills. Um, and so there's websites you can go on um, that track exports. And so literally once a week, I would I actually just set up a, a calendar reminder. I think it's like on a Thursday morning or whatever. Um, jump onto these websites and see where the laser bond had shipped a new order. Um, and it was interesting because you know you track it over time, and and it gives you some some decent details. Like even the free the free versions, you can see who the customer was, the um, the weight of the order that was shipped, um, and you know um, times and things like that. So I kept a little Excel spreadsheet, and, and you could see these orders ramping up. Um, and then you know this was a, a couple of years ago, um, and then you know. Six months later, they report a, a bumper number, <laughs> um, and, and you know anyone following that sort of that sort of research or, or metric, you can see it coming. Um, you know, I think the, the stock re-rated pretty heavily on on the back of it, 
Um, but it was there. You just had to understand what to look for. And, and so sometimes you'll, you'll stumble across that yourself. But, but you know, don't be afraid. Ask management. I, I've done that as well. I'll, I'll, I'll say to management, like, you know, f- from my point of view, what should I be looking for? Um, you know, is there anything I can track? Is it this, some obvious ones? If, if, it's a, if it's a website-based business, track, track their website traffic. It's easy to do. If it's an app, you can, you know, the, uh, App Annie is a great mm-hmm. resource. Um, for any businesses that deal with government tenders, the Australian government, tenders.gov.au, they, they, you know, by law have to put up every single tender. So you can see when, you know, um, Tech One or whoever is, 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 winning, a, is winning a tender. Um, so th- there's all little things you can, you can track and it doesn't take long. Um, that's the thing. Um, and, and, and some people are doing it, but, but, you know, 99% of people aren't. And, and, and so if you can be that 1% that's doing it, um, you know, sometimes it, it, it may not amount to anything, but, uh, when it does, it's, it, it, it can be material because it can be information that, that the market is really discounting or, or not even paying attention to. So, um, it's certainly something I, I try to do with with all of the stocks that I own, um, whether that's personal or in or in the Oracle portfolio. Just trying to find, you know, what's one metric, one piece of information that I can sort of track over time to get a feel for the health of the business. Um, you know, so, so some other examples. I'll, I'll go. I'll go to. I'll come across the Oracle portfolio. Um, you know, we've owned Jumbo Interactive for many years. And I think the market has well and truly cottoned on to this now. But go back a couple of years, I, I, I think it was quite misunderstood how much that business was driven by jackpots. Um, and so, you know, we were tracking the the, the Powerball jackpots, um, you know, years ago. And, and, and you could see, like, if, if they got a string of big jackpots, it was going to be a, a good result when that was released. Um, like I said, I think the market's well and truly understood that now. But, but back then, when there was less broker coverage, um, I think you could you could really get an insight into Jumbo. Um, it, it can even be a great red flag indicator. We we owned Experience Co. in in the Oracle mm-hmm. portfolios, um, and that was a business. Um, you know, they do a bit of skydiving as their core business, but but um, they'd actually expanded pretty heavily into. Um, into tourism almost entirely up in Cairns, um, you know, far north Queensland um, area. And they put some guidance out in the market saying, um, you know, some financial guidance, but the assumption to that guidance was was 6%, you know, passenger growth or, or 6% um, customer growth through their businesses. Um, and, you know, you can track passengers going into Cairns Airport just on the Cairns Airport website. Um, and, you know, this is obviously well, well before COVID or anything like that. It was just when, um, um, I don't know the timing for it exactly. Oh, maybe Cairns Airport was going through a renovation or something like that. But uh, you could see the passengers were down 10 12%. Mm. And so you know, it didn't take a genius to realise, well, if Cairns Airport is down 10 or 12%, it's going to be very difficult for Experience Co. to make up that ground and then whack an extra 6% on top. Um, and, of course, they... They missed pretty heavily, and, and I think that share price, you know, more than halved from 50, 60 cents to to less than 20. Um, but, but yeah. yeah add, it, add in leverage and it, it doesn't end well. No, that's right. That's right. The balance sheet was obviously um, was, was pretty heavily geared, so they, they had to, to do a pretty big restructure. Um, but yeah, look, it's just, you know, it's, it's just sitting down and like I said, sometimes you can just ask the management team, you know, what, what can I track to, um, you know, to, to try and get a view on the business. Um, but other times, you know, just 
sit there and think, um, you know, what is mm. the business? Is there any public available information? Um, the other ones as well, um, Seek. You know, I, I, I um, have some Seek searches saved for all of the businesses, um, not so much the Oracle businesses because they're, they're quite a deal larger. So, you know, um, yeah. those, those businesses have Seek ads on the run constantly. But for the smaller personal businesses I own, like, you know, if they put on a new business development manager, that can often be a material decision to them. So um, it's, it's interesting to track, you know, um, if they do put on a new sales manager, where is it? Is it WA? Is it a region they're not in? Okay, that's interesting to me. Um, you know, um, if it's uh, a, a new, you, new product sorry, manager or something. Can I interrupt? Yeah, sorry. Did, were, you, were you the analyst that asked that on the laser bond call about six to 12 months ago? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was me. <laughs> I was wondering. I was thinking to myself, who who asked that question? Yeah, that's a, yeah, and that's when I learned what you. I figured out what you were doing, and I thought that's a really good way to get an edge, yeah. especially in small caps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's yeah. So that I think that was the example I had. They they had some some ads up for um for for sales jobs in WA, and they've got no operations over there. So to me, straight yeah, away, right. I go, okay, that's interesting. Like. What comes of it, I'm not sure, but but clearly they're they're looking at that market and understanding the business. And you know, a lot of their clients are mining construction. WA is a, a you know, it's a market that that mm. you know could be material to them. So um, yeah, no, I did ask that question. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so that, that's that's another one tracking tracking seat jobs. Um, and, and and a really simple one is use LinkedIn. Um, you know, LinkedIn, I, I think, has this stigma attached to it for some people who, who view it as, you know, uh, I don't know what language on the podcast, but, you know, wankers on LinkedIn, um, <laughs> you, you know, just, just patting themselves on the back. There's the great mm. Twitter account of people of LinkedIn or whatever it's called. I, I, I love reading that every now and then. Um, but it's a great resource to track the executives of, of these of these companies. Um and some are more active than others, um, but the ones who are active, you know, you can see that you can literally go onto their page and look at the activity and you can see, you know, who are they commenting on, what are they sharing, what are they liking. Um, and, again, it, it, it's, all, it's all incremental knowledge where one thing, of course it's not material and you'd never make an investment decision around it, but it's when you piece it all together um and, and it may be one of these managers um you know commenting on the post of a customer or something like that you know you never know what it might be um mm. but it's free it's easy to do it, it takes you know like i said I, I set up alerts um on my calendar it takes me 20 minutes half hour a week just to um, click through to all of the the, the directors or, or md ceos of, of the companies um, and just have a look at well, what have they done on LinkedIn the past week. Um, mm. and, and sometimes as well, if you want to go a bit deeper, um, if you if you look into the, the company itself on LinkedIn, it, it generally has all the employees who have obviously set their, set their jobs to that company, um, you know, following maybe a sales manager or, a, or an operations officer. There's also value in that too because mm. they're often your frontline guys um, who, mm. who are doing that sort of stuff. I found it, I had to do that with RPM Global and the reason why is it's kind of on the edge of my circle of competence, but they also sell to to mining companies mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily in my network. So I, I found I had to follow the, the BDMs and the 
the tech guys that were working at RPM just to get that insight of who are they, who are they selling to, who are they communicating with, how are they communicating it, and you know how are they growing this business online, like that 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 channel for them. So that was a really interesting insight I got. And to be honest, I find it probably LinkedIn less valuable for like the consumer type products, but definitely you know for those um, those more corporate selling funnels, I think they're really valuable. One one thing um, that I kind of thought about as you're saying that is you know you probably get from i was trying to think about quantitatively speaking i was trying to think about how much value do i get um from the the publicly available stuff that goes into your brokerage account versus these scuttlebutts and these anecdotes and tidbits that you get from around the place and it's probably that old old 80 20 rule you probably get you know 80 percent of the meat from those periodic reports and what have you and then the, if you really do the work that last 20 percent although you say it's it is easy in some respect you do have to be creative and you do just have to take the time mm-hmm. to set it up and i'd say that that's where you get that edge and when i was thinking about you know these these rapidly growing small companies i feel like headcount is one of the most powerful signals because it actually um it reminds me of my own business where taking on a person is probably the biggest risk we have in the business. It's the biggest responsibility I have as a manager in a business. And if I was taking on people quickly, that would probably be a sign to the outside that, hey, you know what, things might be going okay inside. Yeah, 100%. Um, and like I, I agree as well with, with that 80-20 um, you know, analogy or, or, or rule. I, I think that's spot on. I think you do get the bulk of your information from the from the publicly available releases um although that being said you you would be surprised at how many people don't actually read them like um (laughs) yeah yeah like um especially come reporting season it's it's really easy to open up the investor presentation when the annual report with with you know 100 pages is sitting there beside it it's it's the the human um intuition is just to go straight to the flashy glossy glossy prezzo um you know that has all the numbers that management wants you to see um and to and to skip over the annual report and look there's some management teams who i give them credit i think they don't shy away from the negatives of their business and you can read the presentation and get just as good of a picture of the business as reading the report um but there's others and, and you don't know until you do the work there's others where you need to read the report you need to really dig into you know the numbers and the assumptions and and to be honest that that's probably um you know rewinding all the way back to the start of our conversation you know i I didn't have that background in finance and commerce um Mm. and so that's been a skill that i've really just had to learn over time of, of how to read a report and in particular how to read financial accounts um but you know, same as, as as what you were alluding to before, before with Scuttlebutt, a lot of the times just ask people. Like it, it goes back to that that classic, you know, when you're in school and they say there's no stupid questions, there's no stupid questions in this game. Like, you know, you you don't make extra money because you, you didn't have to, you know, ask someone a question. <laughs> um, sure. You know, whatever, whatever your investment return is, your investment return is. Um, so, you know, I, I, I vividly remember starting out, um, I, was, I was DMing people, uh, you know, to ask questions a, about reports. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like I remember the first time I came across 
um, like like negative working capital businesses. It was a it was a little business called um, CryoSite. Um, it's still listed. It's CTE, I think that the ticker is. Mm. I never actually owned it, but I was just looking at it. Um, and and so this was a business that um, they um, cryo stored um, stem cells. So you know when when you had a baby, you could elect to pay CryoSite to um, collect stem cells. Um, they would cryo store them for for twenty one years. Um, and I think the the main use case was. Um, you know, if you did have any sort of, um, you know, genetic issues or, or problems, um, it was much easier to use the the baby's own stem cells than the external. Mm. Uh, I, don't, I might be butchering the science behind that, so so forgive me if there's any anyone out there with much better knowledge of that than me. Um, but to go back to an accounting point of view, they got all the cash up front, so I would pay you know, eighteen, twenty thousand dollars um to these guys up front and they would then store it over the next twenty years. And so it was the first time I came across a business model like that of, you know, their cash receipts well outstripping the revenue and the profit they recorded. Um and it was it was confusing to me because I didn't really understand how that all worked until I read a post on on a hot copper um from someone talking about that. Um and I, I, I was sitting there for a while trying to get my head around, you know, the concept and what they were saying. And in the end, I, I said, I'll just message this guy. Um, so his name was Mars, Mars C. I actually don't know who. Is he on Twitter? He's on Twitter. I actually yeah. don't. I've never reached out to Mars. I don't know him personally, but but shout out to Mars. Um, <laughs> he, so, you know, he, he just sort of explained to me, you know, maybe it wasn't a DM, maybe it was just a reply on Hot Copper. But I was sort of just asking, you know, can you just, go through that a bit more with me and I remember early on that's that's just what I was doing I was you know um, getting like this hands-on um, learning in, in how to read accounts and 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 not so much from the books or the, or the textbooks it was it was you know real company accounts and how it impacts them in the real world and how they manage you know their business um, given you've got this now massive backlog of, of liabilities to manage from the cash that comes in up front um, and, you know, that's just continually evolved and, and, and you know, to the point now where um, I'm pretty con- – like, you know, I, I, when I open an annual report, there's, there's very little that escapes me now. But, um, mm. you know, for anybody starting out, um, don't be afraid to ask those questions. I mean, ask me if you want to. I'll, I'll, I'll um, try and answer it as best I can. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I've got now – Watch out. Now you <laughs> have quite a few people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've got a good network of guys who – you know, they're, they're they're accounting gurus, and so um, I had one the other week. I, I don't know if if you saw on Twitter, but I was trying to go through um, Levis's report um, for mm. the Oracle portfolios, and it was after the AASB sixteen changes to the leases. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sitting there for two hours, you know, trying to get my head around. You know, I'm reading the notes and and reading the the numbers and and trying to get my head around. Why isn't this you know, reconciling or whatever it may be. And in the end, I was like, I'm just going to tweet this out. So <laughs> I, I shot out a tweet. I was like, um, you know, can anyone help me? I'm trying to, uh, first time I've looked at a retailer post AASB 16, um, I'm, I'm really trying to reconcile the the, the lease accounting. Um, and, you know, within 10 minutes, three or four blokes had come back to me um, and I had my answer a half hour later and, and, and now it all makes sense. 
Um, so, you know, never be afraid to look stupid. Um, like I said, you don't get extra points in this game for, for, for looking smart. Uh, I've learned that the hard way too. So, you know, ask people, um, use, use that information out there. Um, it's, it's, you know, one of the biggest pieces of advice is I, I hope people take from, take from this conversation. I think, and it's wonderful, I think there's going to be a few major takeaways for me, Luke. One is just making sure you have that data point. We use that for not only companies in our portfolio, but companies that didn't make the cut. To make sure that we made the right decision, we track them You know, after that decision is made. Another thing you know, would be that just open your mind and use these tools that are freely available to you. You mentioned Twitter. Um, some of the best investors I know are on Twitter and they do more there than they do anywhere else. Um, one question just before we come to the end, I just want to ask you, when you talk, when we talk about small caps and small companies, um, do you tend to be quite concentrated with your own portfolios? I know Oracle's 20 to 30. Do you do something similar? Um, no, I'm, I'm quite concentrated. Um, so, you know, there's no fixed number, but it's usually between sort of five to maybe eight um but even even within that like the weightings you know the top two or three could be 70 or 80 percent of the portfolio um and i think i i I didn't start that way originally um i think it's just evolved over time to where you know i just i build up the conviction in these stocks um through all the all the stuff we've we've spoken about already um and I'll often sit there and I'll, I'll think to myself, like, you know, I've, I've built up this conviction on, on you know, there's all, always risks, you know, never never discount the risks, obviously. But, but you know, I think this is going to do really well. Um, you know, why am I sitting here with 5% of my money in it? And, 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 and that's the sort of um, reasoning I have. The, the caveat to that, and I've always been aware of this, and it's... Um, sort of how I not rationalize it to myself but 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 I'm only young I, I, I I'm 33 um, and so I know that I've got my working life ahead of me that if I do make a big mistake um, one I want to learn from it but two it's it's not going to kill me um, you know and so I think that has to be you know you sort of have to acknowledge that as well like like where are you in your personal life to to sort of run a concentrated portfolio because you know what often gets overlooked is is all of the great investors at one point or another went high conviction into either a great idea or mm-hmm. um, however they came across it whether it be Buffett with Geico um, you know there, there's a handful of others um, but but they stumble across a great idea and to to, to really make that sort of life-changing money, I guess, um, you've got to have the conviction to back yourself. So now I, I do run more concentrated personally. Um, Oracle, and again, Oracle, it, it comes back to, to, to managing um, to managing the the, the, the the circumstances. Most of our clients are retired. Um, you know, they use our emerging companies portfolio as um, a bit of extra growth from your, your typical Aussie large cap. But at the same time, you know, these aren't clients that want to open up their account at the end of a month and see, you know, negative 20. Um, so, you know, that's always the, the, the factor there. But, but I know for me personally, I can, I can stomach that risk. Um, and I have stomached that risk. I mean, you know, March, March for me personally was a 50% drawdown. Um, you know, so, oh, wow. yeah, and, and, and you've just 
and 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 to be honest, like I'll 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 you know without patting myself on the back too much, I was actually pretty impressed how I handled that psychologically. I was you know, and I, and I think where that came from was I understood the businesses that I owned. Um, I actually consolidated my portfolio at that time. So I sold a couple of edge positions where I didn't have huge conviction. I was sort of just more, it looked interesting to me. And I really, I think I pulled back to just three stocks that I knew well. Um, and, and hmm. you know, obviously the, the markets recovered and, and I've recovered much quicker. But, but, but yeah, I, I was actually quite impressed with psychologically how I handled that. Um, and, hmm. and, and I think that can only come from understanding the businesses you're investing in um you know taking a step away from the market as a financial um you know abstract and and looking purely at well you know what is a laser bond going to report next year you know in all these different COVID circumstances um Mm. that was sort of how i approached that at the time Mm. and it's a common trait that i find amongst really good investors to be honest that they actually concentrate more in in a downturn um so you're not the first person that said that to me. And, um, I think you, you know, obviously you only get that conviction through doing the hard work, as you say. Okay, Luke, we've, we're, we're pushing on an hour and I'm hoping we can do this again, um, maybe in person next time. But one final question I like to ask all guests, as you know, is if you go back in time and tell yourself one thing about money, finance or investing, what would it be? Um, so I've been thinking about this. Like I said, I listened to your podcast and I know the, the final question. I think what I would go back is I'd say is trust yourself earlier. And, and and what I mean by that is I spent a lot of time early on, like years, two, three, mm. four years, um, always thinking that everyone else was significantly smarter than me, um, the market itself was smarter than me, and, you know, if I saw an opportunity that, that looked obvious to me um that I, I must something must be wrong you know for me for me to find an obvious opportunity that i'm missing something and and not to say i left opportunities on the table i i, I did you know I, I i did obviously buy stocks and, and and do well early on but i remember you know quite vividly a lot of times being sort of that that paralysis of um you know, why does this opportunity exist? I'm, I'm missing something. What am I missing? I've got to find it. And in the end, just not understanding that in small caps, sometimes you're just the only person looking at it or you're mm. the person looking at it from a fresh set of eyes. Um, and I still love those opportunities even today. Like I, I think I said to you in an email when we set this up, I mean, for me, still one of the greatest feelings I have is when I come across a report or or, 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 or an um you know, a, a update or something like that, and it looks interesting. And when I go on to straw man, hot copper, or, or I search for the, the the ticker on Twitter, I don't see anyone talking about it. To me, it's still the the, the best feeling I come across in this in this game. Um, and so I've slowly learned that over time is that um, you know your initial reaction is that I'm wrong. I must be missing something. When the most um, common answer is no you're just the only person looking at it or you're the only person looking at it with a, a fresh set of eyes that, that's sort of understanding the the new opportunity that may be in front of you so um, that, that's the advice I would give to myself and, and and to be honest I, 
that's probably advice that, that a lot of new people to the industry probably need to hear as well. Um, I'm sure mm. I'm not the only person who's sort of felt that way when you're, when you're just starting out. So, um, you know, trust, yeah. if, if you're doing the work, trust it, you know, um, you'll often find mm. it'll, it'll work out. I, that resonates with me because, yeah, I mean, my early part of my career was interviewing fund managers and I've been investing myself for a few years and uh, having spoken with them and interviewed them and seen how they model companies, I was like, you know what, I'm doing this and yeah. I, can, I, can, I can do this too. Like this is this is something I was already doing. I thought there was some mystery wrapped around it, but that is fantastic advice. Trust yourself earlier. Luke Winchester, mate, it's been overdue this conversation but thanks for taking the time out to just to share your wisdom with us yeah no worries i really appreciate it and and yeah hopefully can do it again in a post-covid world and i can either get down to melbourne or or you know feel free to come up here to newcastle i'm I'm, I'm by myself up here there's there's, you know if there's anyone listening from newcastle reach out That's great, mate. I'm sure you have plenty of people reaching out after this. So, yeah, and I'll, I will, I'll make the trip up. It's a good excuse to get up the coast. So, again, mate, thanks for your time today. Awesome. Thanks, Alan. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.